you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Some of you may know that Exodus has 40 chapters in it. And this will be, uh, I expect, our final week in our study of the book of Exodus. We'll be wrapping it up today. Of course, we'll always be looking back on Exodus because it's so foundational and uh, I can't say that I'll never just do the standalone message uh, from Exodus because I truly love the book. Uh, But yeah, this is our 57th week in the book of Exodus, so a little over a year's worth of sermons um, working through this amazing second book of the Bible. But knowing uh, that, that Exodus was coming to a close for us, I've spent the last couple of weeks trying to distill and draw out the most important life-changing principles from the book of Exodus, and certainly the, the way the book uh, moves and ends here. And so these are principles that if you and I will apply them, they will literally change everything about our lives for the glory of God the good of others, and for our deep joy and satisfaction in God. And so um, if you have your notes, you can sort of see these there. I've kind of uh, listed, but th- these are the, the past two weeks what we've looked at. We looked first at the greatest prayer that, that I, I encourage you to pray. And I have prayed so many times since preaching this sermon, but the greatest prayer that should be our continual cry to God is please Show me your glory. Because God's glory is where we will find our true satisfaction, where we will find our true purpose and meaning, where we will find our true hope for the future. And it is in seeing God's glory that we turn to worship him as he so deserves. But then we saw the next week, the greatest pursuit is not only that we would see God's glory, but that we would shine with God's glory. That as the moon reflects the light of the sun, we would see God's glory and reflect it on the world around us. This is what our great desire and pursuit is. That, that our worship of God would be multiplied. That we would see his glory and bow down in worship and then turn to the world and reflect that glory that they too may worship our great God. That is the greatest pursuit we could ever give ourselves to. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but like right now we'd be, we'd tr- be trying to reflect the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's the way the Bible talks about it. It's like Jesus is, is the, that glory that, that we want others to see because that's the only way they can even have a relationship with God at all is coming through God the Son, Jesus But this would be a life well lived. This would be a life unwasted. This would be a life where that that brings glory to God, gives us the greatest hope and joy and peace, but also the greatest good for others. It would be to love God and love your neighbor as yourself if we were doing these things, if we if these were happening in our lives to see God's glory and to shine with his glory. But I, I was thinking about this. I wonder how many Christians, and and maybe even some of you, would say, well, I I want that. 
And I've, I've been praying that, God, please show me your glory. And, and, and I've been trying even to reflect God's glory and to show the world how glorious God is, but nothing's happening. Nothing's changed. I'm still living the same old boring Christian life I was before. Now, I, I want to say something here. God is sovereign. <laughs> like, that means he is in control of all that happens. And so um, it, it could be that, that you're, you're praying to see God's glory, and he has just not chosen yet to like, boom, here you go. Here's my glory. Like, just for you to fall over in awe. Like, it, it's possible. And it's possible that God has, is just not making that glory reflect and shine off of you at this present moment in his spirit-empowered way. It's possible. But I, I, I want to say something else, that it could just be God's timing and God's wisdom. That, that's possible. But it could be that something else is missing. That there's another reason you aren't seeing the, gro- the glory of God and that you aren't shining with the light of God's glory. And that is this. You could be missing the greatest preparation. That is preparation for seeing and and reflecting the glory of God. And that is this, to be a vessel fit for God's glory. To be a vessel, uh, a container, a conduit fit for God's glory, both the seeing and the spreading. It is possible that, that you are a Christian, but that your heart and your life are not yet prepared to, to receive a, a, a powerful pouring out of God's glory in your heart and even to spread that glory in the people around you. It is possible that you are simply not prepared for it. And, and I, I will spend the, 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 the large part of today's sermon uh, trying to show you that from the Bible Um, and impress that upon you and what that would look like for us in the New Testament age. Christ Jesus come into this world, died, risen again, ascended to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit. Like, What would that look like to prepare ourselves to be vessels fit for God's glory, to experience it and to spread it? But I will go ahead and read, and you can read along with me, Exodus 40. Um, And and I'm going to kind of just jump around. There's a lot of repetition in this book, you're welcome to, to read through the whole thing on your own time, but it's, uh, I'll, I'll just be skipping a lot of the, the, where it repeats today and, and giving you uh, the main thrust of it all. So uh, Exodus 40, we'll look first at verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Okay, so God has spent the last many chapters explaining, I want you to build a tabernacle, a dwelling place for me here among you Israelites. And God has given all the instructions for everything that needs to be made and, um, and, and all that has happened. And so now God's saying, okay, you, you've, you've done all that. On the first day of the month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So God's given them that instruction. Um, and then in verses 3 through 8, God uh, gives Moses like the order of how he shall uh, construct the tabernacle, the order in which things are, are put together and stuff. But picking up in verse 9, so verse 9, this is what God says next. Then you shall take 
the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then, I want to mention that verse 9 was talking about the tabernacle, the holy of holies, and the the holy place, like under that part, and and all the furnishings in it. The altar and the, the basin, those were outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard. So God's saying not just the, ta- the, like the main part, but also the altar for burnt offerings and the basin for washing. Um, like that, you need to do all of that as well. Okay, now, now I'll, I'll move on to um, verse, what is it? Ah, 12, thank you. All right, verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. And put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. Verse 14, you shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to, to a perpetual priesthood throughout all throughout their generations, rather, throughout their generations. Verse 16, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. So God has said, erect it and and do this consecration of the temple and all its furnishings and of, of Aaron and his sons as the priest. And so verse 16 there, Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Uh, I'll I'll just say verses 18 through 33 describes Moses doing all of those things. How he erected each thing of the the tabernacle, how he placed all of the furniture and things like that. And so uh, we're going to move on to verse 34. But before we even get to verse 34, I want to tell you what's going to happen. So Moses has done all the things God has told him to do, and I want to show you now the results, and then we'll finish the reading. We'll finish, we'll see these results uh, in God's word. So number one in your notes, the results, glory inside, that's inside the tabernacle, with an outward impact. This is the result that we're about to read here. The final verses of the book of Exodus is that there will be overwhelming glory inside the tabernacle and it will have an outward impact this is what we're going to see so picking back up in verse 34 these are again the final words of the book of exodus it's it's spectacular what happens here 30 verse 34 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is the cloud that had led them out of Egypt. This is the cloud that had descended upon Mount Sinai. And now this cloud comes and covers the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
This is, that's, that's telling you how intense this was. Verse 36, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. And in the sight of all the house, uh, sorry, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So that, that's the result that we see here. Just the, the, the tabernacle is constructed, it's anointed, and, and all of these things, and God's glory fills the tabernacle. We're talking blazing light fills the tabernacle. I, I was thinking about this. You know, you have uh, Moses isn't even able to, to enter this thing. Like, they've been out in the wilderness now for a long time. Like, desert sun beating down on them. They, they are quite accustomed to bright lights at this point. And even Moses himself, like, he had uh, recently in, verse, uh, in chapter 34, like, he had seen uh, a powerful um, expression, manifestation of God's glory as he was in the cleft of the rock. God covers his hand, God passes by and removes it and lets him see the glory of God's back. And yet, this is such a powerful manifestation of God's glory inside the tabernacle that even Moses cannot enter. This is huge. This is, this is God saying, if you've ever questioned my existence, Israel, if you've ever questioned my presence with you, let this calm all your questions. I am here. I am glorious. I am holy. I am a blazing light. God fills the tabernacle with his glory, the Shekinah light of his glory, it's known as but that's just on the inside of the tabernacle. There's also an outward effect and impact from this glory inside. We saw in those verses uh, that on the outside of the tabernacle, this cloud of God's presence, his glorious presence descended. And this is a pillar of cloud, you could say, uh, by, by day and fire by night has descended on the tabernacle. I mean, we, we almost like, if we've grown up in the church, this almost is, just seems unspectacular. Can you imagine camping out in the wilderness? Like you don't have uh, light pollution all around you from cities and stuff like we have today. You're out there and at night and you're walking around and there's the tabernacle over there and just a cloud of fire is over top of it. I mean, this is how it was at night for them for the, all of their time. It, it said there um, throughout all their journeys. That's uh, verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it, in the cloud, by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I mean, this would have been spectacular. This would have been amazing that you have not only the glory within, which, by the way, the glory does eventually calm down and go over the Ark of the Covenant between the, uh, between the cherubim there, um, and, and it resides there behind the veil, and the priests are able to enter and things like that. Uh, but, but this cloud, this outward effect is still there throughout all of their journeys, it said. And not only is there like this outward effect that would just show the reality of God, but it also 
gave direction to those on the outside, right? Like it had an impact on their lives. It was this cloud that showed them when to leave, where to go, what to do. Uh, did you see that in those verses? It said, um, uh, when the cloud wasn't taken up, the people of Israel would stay. When the cloud was taken up, they would set out and they, they'd follow the cloud. It would direct them and where they should go, what they should do. I mean, the, the timing, they were no longer left to their own flawed human wisdom, their own flawed plans and desires. They're able to follow God. And, and I'll tell you this, you know, uh, we're just in the book of, of Exodus now, but uh, most of you know that reading through the Bible, like God's presence among Israel, his glory in the tabernacle, his cloud uh, around the tabernacle, like th- this would change the world. This would change the world because where is it going to lead them? It's going to lead them to the promised land. Now it's going to take them 40 years to get there because of their hardness of heart. Uh, <laughs> that, that, anyways, uh, it's going to take them a while, but like this glory is going to lead them and it's going to be this presence of power, of, of supernatural power. Like as you go and, and read the book of Joshua, you are going to see Israel win battles that they have no business winning against enemies that are so much more powerful. Literally, the walls come tumbling down at Jericho, right? Like, I mean, this is God does the impossible through his presence there. Like we're, we're seeing it like, you know, come manifest here in Exodus 40, but this is going to have an astounding, world-changing outward effect, outward impact. Enemies subdued. I mean, they, they are going to take territory for God's kingdom. Like, literally, because Israel is God's physical kingdom on the earth. At this time, they are going to reclaim enemy territory. And this is happening because of God's glorious presence inside the tabernacle having an outward impact as it leads Israel where they should go, what they should do, the timing, the everything, the, not their wisdom, and certainly not their power. The power is God's. This is what we see happen. The result is glory inside the tabernacle with an outward impact. Now, you, you could say at this point, Jeff, what does this have to do with me? Like, I am not a tent. You know, like, uh, glory inside, yeah, it's inside a tent, a tabernacle. Like, and, and there's, there's a cloud outside. Like, what does that have to do with me? Are, are you over-spiritualizing this? You know, taking a historical uh, event that happened and saying, well, let's think about the spiritual implications. Here, here, let me tell you why this is not an over-spiritualization or anything like that. Right now... In human history, redemptive history, what is the tabernacle on this earth? What is the dwelling place of God on this earth? Anyone? The church, us, Christians, we, you, and I, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are the tabernacle of God. You are the dwelling place of God. The Bible uh, is, makes no confusion about this, that, that if you have... Re- trusted in Christ, you receive the indwelling, the indwelling Holy Spirit taking up residence in you just like the, uh, the, the glory of God took up residence 
inside the tabernacle. The presence of God took up residence inside the tabernacle right here in Exodus 40. You, my friend, I am the tabernacle. And so we, we see this glory of God on the inside. Isn't that like our prayer? Please show me your glory. We talked about this. We're, we're not looking for bright lights uh, at this point in, in redemptive history. We're looking for the bright light of the glory of God with the eyes of our hearts, that we would see God for as great as he really is, that we would treasure him, that we would be in awe of him, that we'd be astounded by his grace and his mercy and his justice and his power and his wisdom and everything else. That's seeing the glory of God, that we might treasure him, that we may value him as he truly is, and it would lead us to worship. And then we think about this outward impact that we might shine with the glory of God on the world around us. This is what, the ta- what happened with this tabernacle. It changed the world around it. God's glory was bright on the inside, but there was an effect on the outside, on the people around, and literally on the known world at this time. And it's certainly still implications today of God changing the world through his presence inside and the outward impact that it had. You and I are this tabernacle. And I'll go ahead and mention, uh, we're going to talk about the priests in a moment as well. Who are God's priests today? Is it the offspring of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi? No, we are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. We are a royal priesthood, a holy people, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are the tabernacle and we are the priesthood. Exodus 40 really happened historically. But we understand today the implications in redemptive history that we are now the tabernacle and we are now the priesthood under our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And so we say, okay, this is what I want. If, I, if I'm the tabernacle, if I'm the priesthood, like this is what I want. I want God's glory powerfully inside my heart and mind. And I want an outward impact. I want to change the world for God's glory. I want God's glory to be on display through my life. I want God to reclaim enemy territory through my life. I want God to shut out Satan through my impact. I want God to bring people into his kingdom through my impact. That's what I want to happen. I don't just want to see it. I want to spread his glory just like this tabernacle. And so we say, but but why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening? Again, I, I, I don't want to just say like, I don't want to put it, put it all on you or anything like God's timing is good and we have to trust his timing and his wisdom. But there was, as we talked about, this, this uh, preparation, becoming a vessel fit for God's glory. Again, you see that on the top of your notes. The greatest, uh, what was it? The greatest preparation, yeah, be, be, to be a vessel fit for God's glory. And so this is what we see in Exodus 40. If we are the tabernacle, if we are the priesthood, if we want these things to happen. There's something that God had Moses do first. And so this is number two in your notes. The requirement is complete consecration. Complete consecration of both the tabernacle and the priests. Consecration is probably not a word you use every day. Um, And it it is kind of a difficult word, consecration, um, because it has kind of 
a large depth of meaning of what consecration is. Uh, we could say it means to devote or to dedicate. I, I consecrate myself to you, God, you might say. And you're saying, I am dedicating my life to you. I'm, I'm devoting myself to you. Consecration, uh, even just the Hebrew and the Greek word used for it, is the same word as holy. Hagias in the Greek, it's holy. It's, it's set aside for special use. This is consecration. This is what God tell, told them to do uh, with the temple. And we'll look at that in just a moment. It's set aside for special use. And, and in a, another way it's used is to purify or to cleanse so that it can be used for pure and clean purposes. To, to, to get it out of, get the junk out of it and get it out of the junk. Like this is, this is consecration. I, I, I'm devoting myself to you. I want to be set apart for special use. I, I want to be cleansed from sin and defilement. This is, and we're going to talk about it more, this is the requirement that God gives all through the Bible for what it is uh, to, to be a vessel fit for God's glory, both seeing it and spreading it. There must be complete consecration. I want to be super clear right now because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I am not talking about salvation right now. I'm, this is for the Christian to see and spread the glory of God. Complete consecration is, is necessary. For salvation, I am not at all saying clean yourself up so that you can come to God and receive the cleansing of Jesus. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Jesus came into this world to die for the ungodly and the dirty, like me. <laughs> like, I did not say, all right, I'm going to brush myself up, I'm going to clean myself up, I'm going to, you know, before coming to Jesus. Like, th that is not the gospel. The gospel is you come as you are, and Jesus changes you. He saves you. It is only by God's grace, through faith, that you are saved based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, trusting in him and him alone, his righteousness, his perfect life, his perfect sin-bearing sacrifice, that is salvation. But if you want to, as a Christian, experience the glory of God in profound ways, and if you want to spread the glory of God more than just a little bit here and there, it requires complete consecration. It is not until we let God clear out the junk in our lives that he can pour his glory in. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's something there that, that it is not until... We, we, we are purifying our hearts and letting God purify hearts that we then see God. God, please show me your glory. And so I, I just want to say this, and we're, I need to get to the text at some point. Don't bother praying that prayer if you're not going to consecrate yourself to God. If you're, if you're going to say, God, please show me your glory, and then you're going to set your eyes on worthless things, whether that be uh, sexual images, whether that be uh, greed and, and, and the material things of this world, whether that be your own pride and your own ego, don't bother. 
saying, ah, I don't want to tell you not to pray. Pray it anyways, but like, I, I want you to see the hypocrisy there uh, that I see in my own heart, that I can say, God, please show me your glory, and then I fill my mind with junk, with lust and greed and, and self and me. It is contradictory, and it is counterproductive. It is filling this vessel with things that are crowding out the glory of God because it is the pure of heart who see God. That's not how we get saved. That's the experience of the saved. All right, we, we, could, we could go on with many things. I, I want to say this too, and we'll, we'll look at it. We say, God, use me for your glory but then we make all our own plans, we set our own desires, our own goals, we fill our time and our schedule with hobby after hobby, you know, and, and every extra thing. Got to get my bank account a little bigger, so I'm going to work 90 hours a week. You know, like, where's room for God? Like, you're not actually set aside for His purposes. You've, you're very much using your own life for your purposes. So yes, you're, you're not spreading the glory of God. You're not being used for his special purposes. You're not making an outward impact because you are not consecrated, set apart for his use. All right, I got to turn to the text. <laughs> I, I want to be a Bible man, not just uh, preaching random stuff. Um, but I want to show you where I'm getting this. The tabernacle. This is Exodus 49 through 15. We, we already read it, but I want to uh, revisit it. God says to, you know, erect the tabernacle. And then he says, then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle. So that's, that's the, the, the tent that, that has the Holy of Holies and, and the, the holy place. Um, anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture that it may become holy. So I just want to mention this. There's not just this general uh, consecrate the tabernacle. Just let it be consecrated. There is a consecrate the tabernacle, consecrate all that is in it. Then he repeats it. Consecrate the, t the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. That's complete consecration. Every aspect of this tabernacle must be consecrated. It must be cleansed. It must be set apart for God's use. He says again, you shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering. This is outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard area there, still behind curtains. Uh, but the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils. This is so specific. This is complete. Consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. Holy, by the way, means set apart. You shall also anoint the basin. This is the, the wash basin. It held water that they could wash in. Out, out in the courtyard. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand. So even the stand that's holding up the wash basin, consecrate it. Are you getting the picture here that this isn't just a general, oh, be consecrated? It's so easy for us to be like, I'm set apart for the Lord's use. But then it's just like, well, if you actually look at the every aspect of your life, like, sure looks like your life is being only used for you. But so, no, 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 I'm consecrated. No, but look, look at the, look at the tabernacle. Yes, consecrate the tabernacle and consecrate all of its furnishings. Consecrate the altar and all of its utensils. Consecrate the wash basin and its stand. Every aspect, this is complete consecration. Everything of this tabernacle is to be devoted to God and his use. Made holy, set apart. 
We see this again with the priesthood. I'll, I'll show you. We're not going to go you know, real deep here, but the priests, those who will enter in and that they will mediate uh, between God and man, between God and his people. Um, and again, we are a royal priesthood, a holy people. We are this priesthood now. But here's what they have to do that precedes God's glory and presence inside and outside the tabernacle. He says, verse 12, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. So that's in the basin. And put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. It is through this consecration that they will be able to serve me as priests, to truly serve. So I, I want to look at just a few things here. There is washing. You bring Aaron and his sons to the tent of meeting and wash them, all of them, with water. This was symbolic of cleansing. This is, this is that nothing unclean is, is entering into the presence of God and, and, and doing God's work. It is, is symbolic of cleansing from sin. You have the holy garments. It says, put on him, uh, put on Aaron the holy garments. And, and, and then on, on his sons, the coats also. So these are, these are these holy priestly garments. This is symbolic of a new vocation. Aaron and his sons are no longer civilians. They are priests of God. And they're, again, in this uh, time, they're wearing an outward symbol that I, I'm no longer just a normal Israelite doing the normal thing. Like, I, I, I am now a priest set aside for God's work. And then you have this anointing with oil and consecration. They're kind of used interchangeably. They're, they're both mentioned, but the anointing is a picture of the consecration. And this is, again, an, an outward expression of this inward reality, reality that they are God's servants. They're placing their lives in God's hands, submitting to God's purposes and will and use. This is the imagery that we have of this priesthood being consecrated. And it is, again, it is complete. It is a washing. It's a cleansing of sin. It is a new vocation. It is a submission to pursuing God's will and God's desires. I mean, th this is like a, I'm trying to think of how, how I'd best say this. This is a decision to dedicate themselves to God and everything about them. And this, this is what I'm talking about for us. And, and you might say, well, does the New Testament really teach that as a requirement for us? Like, I mean, this is Old Testament. They were under law you know, that doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, like even remotely like something Jesus would say. Jesus just wants us to be happy, right? Listen to Jesus' words and tell me you don't see some echoes here. Um, I'm not saying he uses the same words, but the, the principle here, Luke 9, 23, and he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I thought Jesus just wanted me to be happy. Well, if he does actually want you to be happy. He does want you to have fullness of joy in you. He does want you to live an abundant life. But you know the path to that? Self 
denial, picking up a cross that is a, 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 an instrument of torture daily and follow me. That is, that is get in my will. Quit following your own plans, your own desires, your own paths. Like I will show you the true path of life and it is to deny yourself, to be wholly consecrated to God, his desires, his will. You say, I thought the New Testament was about grace though. This, you know, what happened to that? I love how, it put, how Paul puts it in Romans 6, 12 through 14. You can just see some aspects of it here, but I like how it ends. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments, or you might even say vessels, instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, your vessels, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have dominion will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Whoa, this is talking about this like, I, I, I'm no longer gonna like give myself to sin. I'm no longer going to pursue sinful things. I'm, no, I'm going to make every effort to keep away from these sinful things, using my life, using my body, using my time. I wanna, I wanna be used for righteousness, not because I'm under law, but because I'm under grace. This is, this is consecration, uh, 1 Corinthians, I, I just, I want to pile this on you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple, or you could say tabernacle, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So do whatever you want. Pursue your own dreams and desires. Spend your time however you want. Spend your money however you want. Steward your relationships however you want. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I'm just going to give you a couple more. Both of them in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just thinking, thinking back on what happened with the tabernacle, what happened with the priests there. 2 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You hear that? The, all, the, all the world is pursuing their own dreams, their own measly, just transient temporal desires and pleasures and comforts and prestige and all these things. Paul says, Go ahead and share in the suffering of Christ Jesus as a good soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We have a new vocation. As, as children of God, we have a new vocation, no longer pursuing what the world pursues, but to pursue pleasing God, the one who enlisted us. And then finally, uh, in verses 20 and 21 of 2 Timothy now in a great house, Paul says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy to the master of the house, ready for every good 
work. Do you get the principle there? Like, there are lots of vessels in a household. You could even say in the household of God. But some will not be fit for honorable use. They're still in the household. That's a good thing. (laughs) But they're not cleansed. They're not ready to carry honorable. They're not ready to be poured out in honorable ways. But then there are these others, the ones of, of gold and silver, it says, the ones that are cleansed, ready for every good work by the master of the house. Complete consecration. I, I by the way, just I, I want to help you think this through because I, I wish I could spend longer here, actually. Um, complete consecration is complete, like every aspect of your life. Both your actions, your words, your thoughts, like all of it, God, it's yours. I want to cleanse it. I want to set it apart for your use. I want you to be glorified through my life. I want to see your glory and I want to spread it. I want that to be my life. I want everything set apart for that. And so I I was talking with a a person like about a week ago and... um, they, they helped me think this through, that it may, it may be useful for you to even think of some categories in your life and, and just say, have I truly consecrated th- this category um, of my life, the things that make up my life? Have I truly consecrated that to God? Or am I just saying, oh, I'm consecrated. I'm set apart for God's use in a general uh, ambiguous sense that really makes no difference. Um, what about the actual things in our life? And so I have these uh, in your bulletin. If you want to fill them in, you're welcome to. If not, just listen. No worries. Is your family consecrated, devoted, submitted to God and his use? Are you following God's will in your family in the particular position he has you in? I don't want to spend too long here, but what, what is the purpose of your family? To glorify God. Like that, that's the reason you are in a family. And that means you're a, a, a husband, a wife, a, a child, a, a, a parent. You, you are all of these things to glorify God. And, and the Bible does give us God's direction. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This, this, that's what you're supposed to look like, husbands. That's what, it, that's what the family is for, is that you're putting on display Christ's love for the church. And we, we could go on, even children though, children, Obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> like, out of honor and reverence for God in Christ Jesus, you obey your parents, children. That is how you glorify God in your family. And then you can even leverage your family, not just to be your own little self-sufficient tribe with its own pursuits and desires. You are pursuing the glory of God put on display through your family. But has that happened? Or, or is your family just your little clan, your, your crew, I think also of friendships. That's, that's the next one I put up there, friendships. Please understand, and even friendships, I could just say relationships in general. If someone is in your life, the purpose of that person being in your sphere of relationships is that you would glorify God. That, that's true for fellow Christian friends, that, that we, we build one another up, we point one another to Jesus, we encourage each other in Christ. That's what we do with Christian friendships, but even non-Christian friendships. You are in their life as an ambassador for Christ Jesus, God making his appeal through you. 
And this was actually the, com- the conversation that I had that made me like shape it this way is uh, Hallie and I were talking with a friend that she was saying, you know, I, I have this friendship with this unsaved girl. Like I was friends with her before I was truly following the Lord, but she's like off into like Hindu stuff. So like I go into her house and there's like these idols and things like that. And it's uncomfortable. And she says uncomfortable things like I still like really enjoy this friend but I don't know like should I be like stepping away from her and so um, she was asking me that and I was just like no you should not be stepping unless she's like tempting you to become a Hindu like no you should absolutely be in there and she's like really I'm like yes like the reason God made that connection that friendship and bonded you two together even though you don't see eye to eye anymore is because you are now an ambassador in her life. Like God has you with that special connection to share Christ Jesus and show Christ Jesus to her. And, and she's, she said, I'm so excited. Like I don't, I don't have to like, you know, betray our friendship. I can stay friends with her, but like now it has purpose. And I'm like, yes, it has purpose. Like to glorify God. That's why it's there. It's gonna get uncomfortable because she's not gonna wanna hear most likely hear about Jesus, but like God will be doing his work. So you, you leverage that friendship. Friendship is more than just people to pal around with and to have mutual interests and conversations and to pat each other on the back. Friendship is for the glory of God. And so I ask you, have you consecrated your friendships? And I, I want to say this too. I talked with another guy. He said, I think most Christians or a lot of Christians don't even have non-Christian friends. They, they, they're like, how the, and he says, that's, that's to the shame of the church that we don't have non-Christian friends. <laughs> I think that's true. If you, if you don't have non-Christians that you're interacting with, that's to our shame. We have over-insulated ourselves. Yes, don't be drawn to become a part of the world and its system, but engage the world. I better hurry up. Um, the next one, finances. Are your finances putting the glory of, on, of God on display? That he is more valuable than anything else in this world. That he is the supreme treasure of infinite worth. Your finances reflect that. Does your job reflect that and how much you pursue money and things like that? And then finally, I would mention your free time. You could be spending your free time doing explicitly sinful things. And I I do want to say that. Like, your life is not consecrated to God your free time is not consecrated to God. If you are using your free time to, to get drunk, to, to set your eyes on sinful things, to set your heart on sinful things, to tell dirty jokes, or I don't know, like your free time is being spent for yourself and, and for Satan, quite honestly, um, if it's for those explicitly sinful things. But I would even say there are things that within our free time are hindrances and distractions that just fill our free time to where we are no longer, no longer usable for God's glory. It is neither setting our eyes to see the glory of God, and it is not showing the glory of God with our free time. And I would say, I mean, there's nothing wrong with hobbies. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with these things. But I, I just want to say this about every aspect of your life. If it is not being used, consecrated to God to see and to show the glory of God, then it either needs to go or to change. And it needs to be reshaped to where it is just putting the glory of God on display. You say, well, that's, that sounds like everything in my life. Yes, everything in your life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink 
or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what complete consecration is, is saying, I don't know what it's going to look like, but like, God, use this area of my life. And, and, and then setting your mind to it. Like, how can I let God reclaim my finances, my family, my friends, my free time to be used for his glory? It is when we have completely consecrated ourselves to God that he will begin to fill us with magnificent uh, uh, experiences of his glory and that his glory will begin to shine outside of us, making an outward effect. We are to pursue complete consecration to God. I, I, I'm so out of time, but it's a super legalistic message at this point. <laughs> I'm just telling you, completely consecrate yourself. Uh, make yourself like worthy almost, it could sound like. But I want to give you this final point that, that will encourage you as you move forward. The real power, the only way you can do this, that you can completely consecrate yourself to see the glory of God and show the glory of God, is you can do this because of Christ. This is where the real power comes from. Can you say that with me? The real power, I can do this because of Christ. This is true for both salvation and sanctification or consecration. Like, you did not save yourself. You could not save yourself. But there is Jesus who consecrated himself. I mean, the Bible uses that word. John 17, 19, Jesus says to God the Father, I consecrate myself. Like, he says it. He set himself aside for God's use. And Jesus was the dwelling place of God who came. That's John 1, uh, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of, as of the only son from the father. Like, that's good, right? Like, he became that perfect tabernacle, sinless, flawless, flawless, set aside. He said multiple times, especially you read John uh, the, the first chapters, uh, like five through seven, he says over and over, I, I can say nothing of my own, but only what the Father uh, tells me to do. I can make no judgment of my own, but only what I see the Father doing. He was only doing God's will. He was not pursuing his own desires. And then Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to bring us to God as, a, as that perfect high priest. I left that out. As that perfect consecrated high priest, he cleanses our sins and brings us to God. This is what Jesus did. So that's salvation. But what about sanctification? What about consecration? So I've got I've I've to consecrate every area of my life, give it over to him and perfect it. Yes, that is what we pursue. But we do it and we can pursue it with all of our might because of Christ. I'll give you these two verses Two of my favorites that I look back on, Philippians 2, 12, and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, friend, pursue complete consecration that you might see the glory of God and show the glory of God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What that's saying is the desire to consecrate your life, to cleanse your life, to be set apart for God's use, the desire comes from God and the power comes from God through Jesus Christ. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. We can just think of it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, like it's not about me, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you, are you getting the picture there? You can do it. You can have salvation because of Christ. And you can have complete consecration of your life, setting it all apart, cleansing it all because of Christ. He's giving you the desire and he is giving you the, the power to cleanse and to do all that God desires. Uh, Paul, Paul said there back in Second, uh, Second Timothy, he says, um, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And the power for that comes from Christ Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and now his continual work within us through the Holy Spirit. You can completely consecrate yourself. You can experience the glory of God and you can spread it. You are the tabernacle. You are the priesthood. And Jesus has paved the way as our perfect consecrated one, anointed one, Messiah. He is the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we approach communion, remembering where the power comes from, God, as we think about the one who set his desires aside, as we think about the one who followed your will, as we think about the one who perfectly served as a priest, as a sacrifice, a cleansing sacrifice for our sins, God, we are so thankful for what he's done, not only because it purchases our salvation, but it also gives us the desire and the power for consecration, to be cleansed, to be set apart, to be a vessel fit for your glory, God. Lord, help us to not piddle our lives away, but to cleanse out the old sin, to set apart our lives for eternal things, for, for supernatural things to happen through us by your power. God, please show us your glory. God, please let your glory shine through us. And so, Lord, today, would you help us to prepare our lives, to prepare our hearts, to place every aspect of our lives into your hands for your cleansing and your use. God, I pray that even during this time as we reflect before coming up to uh, get the elements of communion, Lord, that you would lay areas of our life onto our hearts that, that maybe we've, we've held aside from you, God, that we have not placed into your hands. Maybe it's our family. Maybe we see our family as our possession, not yours. God, maybe it's our finances. God, maybe it's our friendships. God, maybe it's our free time. Maybe it's uh, the, the actions that we do. Maybe it's the, the words that we say. Maybe it's the thoughts in our mind. Lord, whatever it is, draw it to our minds. And I pray that you would just wash us with the blood of Jesus to repent of that sin of withholding something from you, anything from you, God. 
And God, give us the power to change, to place that area of our life in your hands. God, would you do this for your glory, for the good of those around us, and for our supreme joy in you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can just stay in your seats for a moment, just in a prayerful mode. Um, I, just, I encourage you to take some time to pray with God and, and talk through these things with Him. God, is there an area, like Christ has purchased my freedom in that area to be used for you, to enjoy you, to spread your glory there. God, God, show me and help me to turn. Like I, I encourage you to do that. And then when you are ready, if you are a, a believer in Christ Jesus, following Him, you, you are welcome to come up and grab the, the elements and take them back to your seat, and then we will all partake together. Uh, when, when the music stops, you'll know we're about to, to do that together. So go ahead and pray.